Welcome to another Block 101. Um, I've got Kieran Benton with me again. Hi, thanks very much for having me back. Um, so before we get into what we're going to talk about today, mm-hmm. this is a historic moment it, because you are the first person to be on the podcast, <laughs> apart from me, more than once. Nice. Do I get a prize or anything for this? You get or? the respect of your colleagues. Absolutely. Well, I'm, I've, that, that means a lot to me, it really does. <laughs> it's not because we work together and like, you know, <laughs> I've kind of like forced you into this or anything at all. No, 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 no. <laughs> Absolutely not. Happy to be back, Dave. Good, good, good. Thanks, Kieran. Right, so what are we going to talk about today then? Uh, Google Cloud, apparently. Google Clouds. Yeah. So we should explain what a cloud is before we get going. Probably as should, you quite yeah. rightly pointed out before we started. <laughs> and I have to take my sarcasm filter off. And you're not allowed to draw off. anything. No, I'm no not boxes. allowed to draw anything. No boxes. I'm going to pens. There's a pen near me, but no, it's not going to work. <laughs> so yeah. So what is a cloud? So yeah, ten years ago ish. Now I think maybe a little bit longer than that. Um, Amazon decided that they were getting out of the grocery business or getting out of the book business, and they were getting into something else. Um, and they decided to create this thing called the cloud, which is basically, um, it's like data centers through APIs. That's the best way to describe it. What's an API? So an API is an application programming interface. So it's a way in which you can get two computers to talk to each other, or where you can get two pieces of software to talk to each other. So it basically means that instead of you having to have a, like a technical operations department who you say as a development team or as, a, as an engineering team, um, we want to launch this new, app, this new application. It's going to require, I don't know, four machines of a certain spec to be able to run. It's going to need so and so much storage. It's going to need so and so, so, and so much um, bandwidth, that kind of thing. And you go and talk to your technical operations departments and they have a look at that and you argue a bit and uh, they spec out basically the size of the box you need, how much it's going to cost. Uh, how many racks is required, how much power it needs, how much bandwidth, all the, all the, all the rest of these things which uh, you know, exist inside data centers. And then you wait about two and a half months for uh, them to go and rack all this, all this kit or even to go out and buy it, go and do a purchase order and get all that approved and, and, and all the rest of it and spend a load of capex. Um, instead of doing that, you open an account with Amazon, you, uh, you, you sign up, you, you know, provide your, your banking details, all the rest of it, and then you click some buttons, which is like talking to the API, or you can talk to the API directly through, uh, through your own software, and it just spins up machines. And right. the machines exist in, in inverted commas, because we're on radio, uh, the cloud. Radio? Yeah, radio, I know. It's a podcast, right, it's, mate. It's, it's, it's radio. <laughs> It's offline radio. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Does that so make sense? that makes perfect sense. Yeah. So you've made a really good point because uh, you know we already when we started out, you know, we used Amazon. We did. We're on this podcast today to talk about Google Cloud, mm-hmm. and I always remember um, going to football clubs, and someone who's completely non-technical would come to you and say, "Well, you know, you're this SaaS cloud-based ticketing system." Who do you use? And you just say AWS. Then they just nod like they know what you're talking about. All good. Move on. So we've taken quite what seems maybe a bit of a brave decision because well, we've moved away from AWS. Indeed. indeed so what are we doing? Why are we doing this? Very good question. Uh, so <laughs> first off, let me, let me kind of talk about the landscape. So you've got Amazon who were first and they have a very big advantage by being first. They were first, the, the, the first big company to go off and do this, because there were other like little providers who were doing this way before, and yep. just no one was really talking about it. It just kind of became cool and mainstream when Amazon started doing it. 
And that was like, like I say, I can't remember now, just probably just over 10 years. Then you had Microsoft turned up as well, who we also use for a bit too. Yes. Because uh, we just love multi-cloud stuff. Uh, and, then, and then Google, probably the most, I think they're the most recent to, to really get into the game, which is slightly surprising, uh, a couple of years ago. And Amazon have a huge advantage. They are like, I think, over 80% of the market. Microsoft a second, and Google, weirdly, are like a, a, a percent, I think below 10% of the, of, the, of the market. But you were talking about a trillion dollar market here. Mm. It's not like, you know, a, a small industry. This is like basically AWS. Um, makes Amazon more money than Amazon does, so to speak. It's yes. like it's all become completely inverted. So why do we move away from AWS? Well, first of all, I've started to not like it as much. <laughs> Seriously, yeah, that's it. And that's, you know, in, in tech circles, that's kind of a good enough reason, really. And, and by that, I mean, it's a bit complicated. Okay. <laughs> they, they love launching stuff and they're building, you know, they've built out some great products, uh, you know, and it is amazing uh, the, the, the amount of stuff you can do with this. But there's like 200 of them, and you open up the dashboard when you're trying to configure something, or you're trying to understand how to how to build out um, a platform, and it's overwhelming. Um, and that the only way, real way to get around that is to by having a systems engineering team hired, which most you know, larger companies ne- wouldn't necessarily have to. Mm-hmm. Basically, using Amazon, um, but because you, Amazon let you configure absolutely everything to the end, end to the nth degree, every like little facet of your network, um, you know, and, and all the rest of it. Uh, whereas we don't have that, and we don't want that either, because we want to do the simplest, most common, and most scalable solution to, that, that you can possibly do, and we don't want to get too much into the nitty-gritty of tweaking tiny little, little things where we've got very specific requirements because of legacy technology that most companies have. Mm. We have the, uh, the new company advantage of we can build it right for the, for the cloud, and, by, and that usually means building something which, is, which has got a 12-factor I think it's 12, remember now, a 12-factor app, which means that you're basically building applications which are independent of the hardware or independent of the cloud they sit on. We're right. not tied, and we don't want to be tied, to a particular cloud provider, mm-hmm. um, which means we can be very portable, and there's very little risk to us to move, to move around, whereas other companies who have got very specific storage requirements or very specific network requirements or something, it's quite difficult to lift and shift your your applications from uh, from one cloud to another. Right, so you end up getting locked in. Exactly. And stuck. Which, you know, locked in is a big, you know, is, a, is something I've banded around in the past as well as being a really bad thing, and it's not always. But in our case, where we have a chance to build something from scratch, which is truly kind of ag- cloud agnostic to a certain extent, it makes sense to do. Mm. And in our case, it's, it's allowed us to, to be portable, move from Amazon, which is, a, a, you know, a, like a almost like an expert's platform these days. It's mm. like you need to have still a lot of systems engineering knowledge, which fr- frankly, I have some, but I'm not, and this is not you know, my, my expert wheelhouse. Uh, and um, you can move to somebody like um, Azure, and we evaluated Azure, uh, Microsoft Azure, or Google Cloud, where it's a little bit more like um, you get what you're given a little yeah. bit. Okay. But there's a, there's, a, there's a big positive to that because it means you don't have time, you don't have to waste time fiddling with stuff. It's like it's kind of provided to you as is. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, I used to get a little bit scared just logging in to like change the card details on AWS. And <laughs> yeah. It's overwhelming. It's a yeah. fair, fair point. The UX on it is terrible. So it's awful. <laughs> It's the most confusing dashboard you've ever seen in your life. So in our world then, mm-hmm. what goes into the decision making around this? Obviously, you need to be comfortable with it. You most need to yep. work with something you like and you want to work with. Yep. Is there anything else in terms of like your time saving yep. or you know the way that 
I guess, the benefit, I suppose, of Google Cloud versus others? Sure. Uh, there's one very big one, and this is really the, 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 the clincher for us, was that we wanted to uh, move the entire platform, you know, when I first came in at the start of the year, uh, simplify it, so we wanted to collapse down the AWS bits we've got, the, uh, the Azure bits we've got, down to one data center, so we wanted to, one cloud provider, so yep. we wanted to pick one. Uh, and by doing that as well, we wanted to convert the existing applications which were in place into uh, containers to mm -hmm. run inside of what are known as containers, or usually Docker containers, and then orchestrate them using something called Kubernetes, which is a very trendy, which I'm not usually all for actually, but Kubernetes and, and containers in particular are actually very powerful and they're going to see, the, see the, uh, the test of time in tech circles, I think. And basically that means that, like I was talking about before, as an, as an engineer or as a product development person, when you're trying to get products into the hands of, of clients and users as quickly as possible, using these two technologies means you, are, you kind of don't have to care about the infrastructure so much, not on a day-to-day -day basis anyway. Mm. You package your, your software up into these Docker containers, you configure them using Kubernetes, and you send them, in inverted commas, to, to the cloud, and the cloud figures out how to run them, how to scale them, because it will all system now will auto scale mm -hmm. from down from like two boxes overnight so we've got just enough redundancy to if we lost one up to hundreds thousands even if, if necessary right and the reason why we pick Google Cloud is because they are they have the best Kubernetes offering and that's because they created Kubernetes right so you go to the people that made it because exactly. they're going to know how to help us to help ourselves the exactly. best. And it's the most development experience on it is very smooth, it just works, it just scales. They fix all of the all of the magic behind the curtain and there is a lot of magic, but they look after all that for you. Awesome. Whereas although the other providers have got Kubernetes offerings, none of them are as cheap and none of them are as simple as, as Google's. Cool. Okay, good. Um, so I might be paraphrasing a bit here, but I've heard this is kind of like us having another member of staff or even a team. I'd say a team, yeah. So yeah. how does that work then? Just because of all of the stuff they just take care of without us having to worry? Pretty much, you know, the, you know you're basically paying for, and, and you know, and paying for the cloud, we, we shouldn't, you should never think that the cloud is cheaper, because it isn't in reality. Like right. you bake in, you have to bake in all of your, your, your staff costs and everything else into, into running a cloud because they charge a premium. You can buy, uh, hardware very cheaply, but you have to pay the power on it. You have to pay somebody to configure it and yeah. look after it. So it, it is a replacement for staff and for a team even. Um, and that basically means you don't have to worry about the like the lower levels of your of your your infrastructure. And that basically means power racking racking mm. machines, uh, configuring networking. Networking is probably the most complicated thing that we just don't really have to think about anymore. Right, and Google in particular, and this is over AWS again as well, have the most world-class um, dark fiber, uh, dark network, fiber, dark fiber network globally, uh, which means they basically have the most advanced network possible, yep. the lowest latency, the highest reliability, uh, you know, all, all this good stuff, all because Google run all of their products on top of the same, exactly the same tech. Cool. And in fact, even when sometimes when Google have problems with their with Google Cloud, then you see that YouTube goes down or yeah. even their blips in the, in the search service as well. Right, but the, the reality is we're using exactly the same infrastructure that Google would also use for their own products. Effectively, and actually they, they will, you'll see in like some of the status updates, if they're having issues, they will move their products off of clusters which are, are having problems, in inverted commas, yeah. to free up capacity for their, for, for their customers. Okay. So whilst it's, it's not 100% exactly the same, but it's very, very close, and they yeah. are using, using it themselves. Okay. Well, this all sounds positive. There's got to be some downsides. 
well, what are yes. some of the, the pitfalls <laughs> or the dangers? <laughs> It's not so much dangerous, but just things to be aware of. I mean, nothing's magic. You don't get anything for free, just like everything else. I thought in the life. internet was magic. He well, told me it, it, it is magic, but like it's magic right, right up to the point when it breaks, and, and that kind of goes to the cloud as well. Like you know, if the cloud, if the cloud breaks, if if a a cloud's region breaks, so, cl so clouds yep. are split up. In, generally speaking, into what is known as regions, mm -hmm. and like a region would be Europe uh, West One, which yep. in Google terms, I think that's London or it might be Frankfurt. I can't remember whether it's West One or West Two. And same for Amazon, same for same for Azure. And then within those, they have what is known as availability uh, availability groups, availability zones, which are basically independent data centers within that region. Right. So even though there's yeah, you've got Europe West One. There might be three or four actual data centers within that, and huge data centers, but all relatively close together. So if like you know London got hit by a meteorite, then you'd lose all of them. Yeah. Um, so all of our software and all of the all of the stuff on on, on Google uh, will automatically span multiple availability zones because they're very close together network-wise. So you don't care about the hops between them. But regions, it's very, very difficult, and this goes for absolutely everybody in the world and all software in the world. It's very difficult to build software which will span multiple regions mm. because then you deal with the latency of having to move from you know, London to the east coast of the US or London to Australia. Software just doesn't work very well when you have that, those big latency problems. Yeah. Literally, the speed of light comes in. So basically what happens is if you lose a region, and this has happened. I think it's happened to Google uh, a handful of times. It's happened to, to Amazon as well. Amazon lose their their oldest region, uh, not regularly, but they you know more often than others. Then you are basically out of luck. You are suddenly at the mercy of a provider, basically. And all you can do is trust that Amazon or Google or whoever are doing the best they can to fix it. Yeah. Which is off, you know, is, is obviously true. But it means communicating that to your customers and uh, and, and all the rest of these yeah can be could be difficult under those circumstances. And I guess in our sort of scenario, if that were to happen, yeah. we're not going to be the only product that doesn't work uh, no. at that point in time. Generally speaking, at that point in time, a good chunk of the internet is down to a certain yeah. extent, and usually even things like Reddit or Twitter, uh, less less Twitter, but. Um, Netflix goes down, like when AWS goes down, it doesn't go down hard. Yeah, yeah. They have service disruptions. Right. And so it just shows you, like, you know, huge companies with massive resources, they have problems as well. Yeah. But the same goes for if, you're, if we owned a data center, if we rented data center space from somebody, mm. if they had their power cut, which again does happen because it's all the same buildings, it's all the same power, it's all the same network, okay. yeah. you have the same problem. It's just yeah. perception, well, I think, and a, and a feeling of control almost. Yeah. And I suppose the biggest benefit I've seen is that, like you talked about, the redundancy side of it. So there was that thing last week where someone dropped an anchor. Yeah, that was wire. <laughs> and I thought, I thought the internet in this place was just bad for a couple of minutes. Yeah, you know, it does happen. The um, yeah, so I th yeah, I think that was the case. Somebody dropped an anchor on some fibre and they had to route uh, route the, the the traffic around from that fire piece of fibre to another piece of fibre and all that kind of stuff. And again, it shows you that. Um, people like Google or Amazon have the ability and they have teams ready to do that kind of thing and they resolved it within I think about 15 minutes. Yeah, I mean I um, think it was like 45 seconds for us. Yeah, everything was a minor bit slow and then it came back again. Exactly, I mean try and build that yourself, like you just can't, you'd have yeah. to rely on people who are experts. Um, yeah, I, but in our case, um, yeah, Google have rooted around all that problem. We had a slight blip which meant that uh, we we lost connectivity to one of the, those availability zones I was just talking about right. in London, uh, which meant that for all intents and purposes, we lost a box. Mm -hmm. So like, you, know, you can imagine one of our, through, I think it was four uh, machines at the time, 
uh, running this particular set of applications burst into flames. Yep. It didn't actually, but like you can imagine it did. Yeah. Like it just disappeared. And so Kubernetes, which sits on top of the on top of the hardware, went hang on, I've suddenly lost, uh, I've lost a couple of replicas of our software, so we lost you know, one copy of, the, uh, of our APIs, one copy of uh, our customer-facing application, and it suddenly decided, obviously, it needed to restore those, or restore the redundancy, uh, and it asked the other machines to, it scheduled those copies onto other machines. Right. Those other machines weren't big enough to hold the number of copies we'd asked for, thanks Kubernetes, so then it, Kubernetes asked Google Cloud, please give me another machine. Right. So within a couple of, within 20 seconds, Google gave us another machine. Kubernetes then placed these copies of our software, these containers on them and restored service. Within, awesome. Automatically, it's like, you know, a machine exploded and within 30 seconds we'd completely replaced it. Yeah, and I mean, this sounds like fairly technical, but if you think about it from the perspective of someone who's on our site at the time, yep. wouldn't even notice this. No. You're on a page, it will slow down for a few seconds and then you're back again. Probably even and barely see that unless we're right. having a loss of load, which of course at the time we weren't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. which is, I think that's for me, that's the most impressive part. Yeah. It's just like, it just, you know, mm. rebuilds itself and, and you're back to where you were again. Uh, you know, and realistically, if we weren't using the cloud, that would literally be a case of, um, you have to wait for your, for your tech ops department to fix it, which if you did have a machine which burst into flames, means they have to go and buy another machine. And yeah, it. so you're and potentially out for Days. Yeah, maybe not out, but you've, you've lost redundancy, certainly, for, yeah. For, for, yeah, for days, maybe even weeks, depends on how, how quickly you, uh, you know, and how big and skilled your operations team is. Okay, so it wouldn't be fair for us to not talk about the moving from <laughs> one data provider or one cloud provider, as to say, to another. Yeah. And we should also give a big shout to Carol we on this one. definitely and, should do. Like, we're yes. on Pirate Radio there, giving shout outs and stuff. <laughs> it's a <totally> but, <laughs> Um, but I mean, that was that's probably like the biggest ordeal of the year for me, and probably for you. <laughs> We've been for a few. One of the few. Yeah. Um, everyone likes a late night. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and look, yeah, the, the most um, we did we didn't take a pun, but we, we decided to do what is generally seen as actually not the right thing to do, which was we did a bit of an all up. We did a bit of a, a bit of a Saturn Five. Was it Apollo Nine? Where they, you do it all in one go instead yep. of instead of doing it doing it piecemeal, which is the exact opposite of which. Well, it's not very agile. Is. It's not very agile, but there are circumstances where it makes more sense, uh, and this was one of them. So, we had to change our software, consolidate our software as well. So there was a whole load of changes I had to make throughout the year to make this happen. Mm. Um, get our software ready to run inside of containers and run inside of Kubernetes, which is a big undertaking in its own right. Have Carol built out for us the new Kubernetes cluster and definition and automated all that for us in, in Google Cloud. And then we had to migrate all the data over, which of course you have to do during a short period of downtime overnight uh, on Saturday night. Saturday night, Saturday night. night. exciting stuff. Uh, and of course everything always goes to plan. <laughs> and you think you'll be done by about two o'clock in the morning and yeah, maybe not so much. So I think we ended up leaving about here about six. It was, yeah, I think about five to six. Five to six I was trying to get a cab yeah. from somewhere. Yeah, I just tried to get ended up trying to get a cab failed and ended up trying to get the night bus and that failed. And then I had a bit of a sit in the doorway and a bit of a cry for a, for a bit. And that was, that was all good <laughs> before I got a cab again. Anyway, uh, <laughs> joking, sort of. And uh, yeah, so basically it means that you are dealing with the, the unknown unknowns. You're yeah. dealing with the, the things that 
we could have rolled back. We, there, was no, there was never a point where we, we were like too committed, but yeah. it was more of a case of it was better for us to just push through. Mm-hmm. So you just, you just don't know what's going to come up. We had some DNS issues where our QA environment, which we'd migrated previously a couple of weeks, weeks earlier, wasn't configured in quite the same way. Um, there were some database migration problems as well. Of moving from Windows because the old of course the yeah. run on Windows, moving yep. from Windows to Linux causes issues with uh, capitalization of names in in the file system because Linux cares a lot about that and Windows doesn't care at all. So that caused us one of our weirdest issues of the evening. Yeah. Um, and then a new, I think it was part of our data, our reporting database topology as well. Uh, caused weird and wonderful problems. We had to fix the the day after, which we we, we noticed on the evening, but it kind of chalked up to just to, to just new new environment weirdness. Yeah. But yeah, it was a, it was a slog. But yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. The, that's kind of the times you live for sometimes, especially when it, when it all works out. That's, yeah, uh, that's know. it. And it's you know, Carol's always remember to the end, to the I'm end. staying to the end. Yeah, like, oh. yeah it depends <laughs> on when the end is. But, yeah. <laughs> awesome. So I guess so. Last couple of things. I so. We should also talk about our QA environment because mm-hmm. I, I learned this the other day and I didn't even realize this, but the way you've now built it is to self-destruct, yes. to keep testing this to make sure it continually yep. does rebuild itself. Yep. So let's talk about that quickly. Right, so I should preface this by we don't do this in production at the moment. Yeah. And we probably will never do, but we do this in QA to, to do something which is similar to what is known as Chaos Monkey. I don't know if anyone was a Chaos It sounds like the name of an obscure indie group. It does a bit, doesn't it? Yeah, in fact, it would be a good name for an album. But um, yeah, so Netflix, I think it was, built this like five years ago. They built this piece of software called Chaos Monkey. Right. And basically what it does is it acts as a Chaos Monkey and it runs around your virtual data center in the cloud. It turns stuff off randomly. Okay. And it kind of forces you as a software development team and an operations team to deal with failure. Okay. Because everything fails. Yep. Machines always fail sooner or later. If they don't, or if somebody tells you they don't, they're lying. And if they don't, the, the only, <laughs> I will caveat with that with, the only time you generally speaking don't get machines which don't fail are big old mainframes, which you can still buy and which banks use. Right. And that's where individual parts of them can fail. And they, but you, you pay such an inordinate premium for that. And also modern software isn't compatible with them either. Yeah. That it, you know, it, 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 you know, it's, it's not even an option, no for, option for anybody really, apart from people with legacy costs. Um, so yeah, so what we do is in our QA environment, we have two major environments, our non-production and our production environments inside of uh, Google Cloud. We use the machines which build out our, our application cluster in non-production are known as preemptible machines. And so first of all, that actually means we get them for a bit cheaper, which is great uh-huh. when, we, when we're renting them per hour. Uh, but it also means, as you say, they never live longer than, than a day. And right. indeed, if somebody else wants them, we'll pay a premium for those machines. And by somebody else, I mean another company working within Google Cloud. Mm. They can steal them from you. They're preemptible. You can, okay. they can, you get a notification with like, an, with like a 10 minute notice, I think, but then they get taken off of you. Uh, and which sounds mad, but in reality, the reality is, is that that allows us to test the uh, Kubernetes configuration we have on top of those machines. Which does, like I just said, you know, it kind of basically prepares and trials out the whole shuffling our containers and our applications around when we lose a box. Right. So it means that a we get used to it happening, mm-hmm. which is good because otherwise, you, the one thing you don't want to have as, an, as a team is losing a box is like the end of the world. It's a major and, panic and oh, everything stops. No. Yeah, you, you know, you want it to. Oh, it's happened again. It's fine. It's yeah. Just, you, you want confidence that. Yeah, the software is going to do what it does and it's going to it's going to figure it out. And it allows us to put the monitoring in place so that we can spot the same problems. Uh, when they occur in production, yeah, we know what to look for. Yeah. 
uh, and, and you know it's not perfect at the moment you know we still have some work to do on it but it's, it's very you know, within like we've already talked about within seconds it, it kind of heals itself it's a self-healing cluster yeah and it gives us a pretty high level of, of uh, confidence that you know we're about as redundant as you can be as a tickling provider yeah yeah I and mean, I think that's and that's massive in terms of like just creating assurance to any clients that you have or big on sales and not going down and being able to deal with something quickly to the yep. point where people don't even know that there was a problem yep. it's huge because it you know let's be honest not many people do deal with it that particularly well no and you know and, and there are a lot of you know a lot everyone's trying to move their stuff to the cloud and some companies have moved their stuff to the cloud but it's going to be very rare where everyone moves everything to the cloud right all the time people say they've cloud native or they've moved you know they run in the cloud but that's usually only possible for most people with legacy software mm. where it makes sense where you have um, none non-stateful uh, applications, so bits which don't store state in a database or something. Whereas yeah. our, our applications all run completely, are completely cloud enabled. Awesome. So the final bit, and I saw this, this made me smile a few weeks ago, is uh, Gareth Southgate. <laughs> he loves Google Clouds. By yes. Accounts. He was at Google conference talking about the cloud and how they use it for the England team. Indeed. From that point, mate, I'm sold. I mean, <laughs> he's good enough for the England manager. <laughs> We needed to get on board. Did he have his uh, his waistcoat? He on did have the waistcoat okay. on as well. Did he? Yeah, that's yeah. I'm sure, he's, I'm sure he's not allowed to like to take it off it's, these days. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, actually, that's something I haven't really talked up. But the the other thing which Google does very, very, very well is data science. Mm. Um, and you know, it's no joke to say that they are, they lead everybody in this. Yeah. So they have a load of tools which again make it very, very simple to kind of move your data dynamically out of uh, your applications and into what's known as well Google Big Data or Google uh, Google BigQuery, uh, which allows you to do yeah combine information from all sorts of different sources and run massive queries against that data, and it all you know takes a very short period of time, as well as to then run machine learning on top of it once you've got the data in there too, which is something we'll be doing. In the yes, months. so it kind of sets us up for it being future ready, absolutely, and to do, do some to, weird and wonderful stuff with data. Exactly, to provide some great analytics to our clients. Awesome. Okay. Well, thank you, mate. I'll uh, interrupted your day enough, oh, probably. My pleasure. <laughs> Love to give you your own segment on the show. Like, <laughs> like the tech segment. <laughs> so, so people know when to like you know, to, to skip to the next one. Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> okay, mate. Well, thank you for coming on again. Cheers, Dave. It's been a pleasure as always, thank and uh, I'll catch you next time. Nice one. Thank you, Dave.